Hello and welcome to Season 6 of Movies and Tea. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is our very own Queen Bee, Miss Kim Love. <laughs> Hello. Um, well, welcome everyone. As we said, this is uh, Season 6 and we're taking a slight departure from our usual format of director filmography reevaluation to instead provide a selection. Of directors for this season as we're going to be looking at a uh, selection of female directors whose work we feel perhaps does not get the recognition that it deserves and unfortunately at the same time these are directors who haven't quite got the filmography to justify a whole season two so we thought that rather than you know ignore their work and especially as a lot of these films haven't really get the recognition that they probably deserve we would do a slightly different change in our, our seasonal format and uh, instead we've selected eight directors um, whose films we feel are worth certainly checking out and whose work is uh, definitely worth re-evaluating and getting some recognition so we're kicking things off with uh, 1995's Clueless and yes you are all that old a film which is not only a fun satire on the upper-privileged lives of Beverly Hills high school students, but also one of a series of modern-day adaptations of classic popular, popular fiction. In this case, Jane Austen's Emma receiving the reworked treatment, but put it in the same ilk as the likes of Cruel Intentions and 10 Things I Hate About You. Now, Kim, I mean, obviously... When it comes to Clueless, I don't know about yourself, but this is a film that I've watched so many, so many times that I still kind of feel like I know it inside and out. But yet, sitting down to rewatch it for this recording, I would find myself like discovering a whole bunch of stuff that I never even realized was there before. So, yeah, well, I mean, I, I I'm pretty much the same. I mean, this is this type of movies is really right up my alley. I love movies that are like this, coming of age comedy, um, that sort of like. A little bit of, um, I don't know, teen romance, something like that. It's not really teen romance in this, but this, <laughs> but it's still, it, it's really right up my alley, especially because, you know, Clueless was one of those movies, which was one of those fun movies that you got to, you got to watch as a homework assignment because of, <laughs> because of its, its adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. So it was one of those really fun things that actually hit my radar a lot earlier than after, you know, the, you know, than after getting into really blogging and being serious about talking about movies. So this one came very early, much earlier in my, you know, viewing history. And because of that, I mean, I've seen this movie so many, so many times and every single time it's so much fun to just rewatch it, to turn it on and, even though, you know, right now as you watch it more, you start seeing all these things that are like, you know, in real life this happened. The realistic part of me, the, you know, the 30s me is like, okay, well, these things would never have, you know, would never happen in real life, just realistically. But still, you can really sit down and enjoy or enjoy this sort of, this comedic kind of side of, of just this this girl who's, who's clueless about life and she doesn't really realize that she is. 
Definitely so. I mean, the film itself follows uh, Cher, who's a player played by Alicia Silverstone, who's a privileged high school student in Beverly Hills, who's essentially sets out to find a deeper purpose. The first initially as a matchmaker for two of her teachers as a attempt to boost her grades. And second, as she takes the new girl Taj, here played by the wonderful Brittany Murphy, under a wing while dealing with the ups and downs of teenage life. And as you said, Kim, this is sort of very sort of low stakes coming of age sort of drama as she deals with, you know, boys and fashion and high school drama and friendships and breakups and all that sort of fun things with none of, you know, the hassle of real world responsibilities. So, <laughs> but I mean, the film itself is directed by Amy Hackling, who may not have the same sort of name value as the likes of Fincher or Spielberg, but since her directorial debut with The Fast Times at Richmond High, has been behind cool t- comedies such as National Lampoon's European Vacation and Look Who's Talking Trilogy, which she wisely opted out to direct in the third film and return slowly as the film's producer. And perhaps unintentionally, she gave us this trilogy of high school coming-of-age sort of dramas. Um, first in the 80s with Richmond High, and then in the 90s we obviously had Clueless, and then in the noughties we had the really forgettable Loser, which starred post-American Pie Jason Briggs and Mina Savari. And also, let's not forget, it's the film which gave us gave the world Wheatus' teenage dirtbag, which just makes me shudder now thinking about it. Um, but... The film is really kind of interesting is where Cher is sort of introduced as a sort of Queen Bee sort of character that normally we're so used to seeing as being playing sort of like the bitch, the antagonist to sort of the underdog character we're more used to following. And here we somehow managed to still root for this character who's pretty much she's so sort of wrapped up in like going to the mall and fashion and and privileged, but really, she's essentially just this tip of this vacuous iceberg that make up the high school that she goes to, where the students are more concerned about their social standing than their grades, and at the same time, she's sort of like heckering as a director is kind of like thumbing her nose at this idea of privilege, where these students are sort of like walking around with like the various plastic surgery. Uh, uh, bandages and they just the teachers are basically cleared it they're just to sort of like kill time because these students are never really going to have any real world con- like concerns once they get out into the real world because they're all like basically trust fund babies so <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's just it's just you know we always have this image of high schools especially in where is this this is when cali probably somewhere like that la I can't remember. Is it in L.A.? I think it's in L.A. Wherever Beverly Hills is located is there, so... Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's really... It's it's that part where we always associate where there's, like, a lot of, you know, rich people and, and where a lot of these settings are, you know, like, for what the O.C. and the, you know... I mean, Gossip Girl wasn't, but it was in New York. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, like, more... You're, you're set in these areas where it's it's like really nice weather and they can all wear like nice skimpy clothing and that sort of stuff um compared to where we live where it's just cold and rains all the time so (laughs) you it's what like you live in a place where it rains like what about 95 percent of the the time 
<laughs> and then I live in I live somewhere where it's like it's winter six months of the year. So <laughs> I mean, it, it's a really different place, and I think that that's the fascination for I don't know if people watching this who live in like L.A. or California feel the same way, but I think that. For, for me especially, I mean, this is some kind of high school life that I've never experienced, you know? Like, we didn't, we never had people that were super rich, um, or, or had this kind of, like, we had, like, you know, cliques and stuff, right? Yeah. But not really, like, some people who stood out more than others, or maybe I was just not noticing it. I don't know. <laughs> but um but yeah, I mean it's it's a whole different world and, and that's the fascination of watching this is it's everything is so over exaggerated and and in such an enjoyable way that you kind of like you can't help but to you you're not sure whether you want to laugh at the situation or be entertained by it. And yet it's it's just I mean I mean Cher is this the, this character which Obviously, she she's based on you know the modern well the nineties version of 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 Emma the car uh, Emma of Jane Austen right yeah. so she has this this purpose that's not just about you know she has this higher purpose she believes in you know being that she believes that what she's doing is good and she believes that giving people makeovers or put or being match playing matchmaker and all those things is really important to her and she. And she's one of the, you know, one of those characters where she's not thinking about falling in love. She's not thinking about love. She's not thinking about boys, uh, for most of the movie at least. And it's refreshing to see the sort of coming of age because a lot of times we, we see we see movies like that which have this sort of image where these girls are always doing something to get the boys' attention. I mean, you can take easy examples similar to this one, like, you know, Mean Girls and, and that sort of stuff. And it's all about people who, who you know, they, these coming-of-age stories, especially teenage ones, always have some kind of romance rolled into it to kind of give these characters some kind of, I don't know, purpose. It's to get a guy or, or to get back at a guy or whatever, you know? And in this one, it's not the same thing. Cher is in that sort of character. She kind of lives in her own little world. And it, it and it's really a coming-of-age story above everything because it's really about her kind of breaking out of it and realizing how clueless she is about the things around her and finally realizing what genuinely doing something good, which isn't about benefiting herself, is all about. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, it's this quest of sort of by doing good deeds that she finds enrichment in her life because normally when we look at sort of like the coming age drama, I mean, it's all about the person who's a mess, you know, finding themselves, where she has pretty much got everything together. Um, so her sort of strife is very sort of minor sort of issues, really. It's just more about filling in those sort of missing sort of pieces. As you said already, she doesn't care about high school boys. Um, she basically sees them as dogs. You know, they're just they're just uh, constantly jump up at you and uh, need attention. So she's looking for that higher class of man, which you know she believes that she finds later on with uh, Christian. But we'll obviously come to that storyline a bit later. But I just found it really surprising like, the first time you watch it, just how genuine she is because she takes Taj under her wing, and Taj is obviously the out of town sort of like grungy chick, and she there and, and um her best friend to sort of give her the, this makeover and you kind of 
wait for this other shoe to drop, but it never does. I mean, Sharon Dion take her under the wing and make her part of the group to their their du- the dynamic duo becomes heroic trio. And it just, even though you wouldn't think that Taj and Cher would get along, the fact that, you know, Taj is so quirky and, and so sort of down to earth. She's into, into like, uh, the more sort of like uh, indie sort of thing. She's into like drawing cartoons and cares not so much about fashion and, and things and sees Cher as this sort of like role model to aspire to. Yet they have this amazing sort of friendship that sort of grows very naturally just through Cher taking her under her wing and sort of giving her that makeover. And I thought it was just constantly surprising because you wait for like the other shoe to drop, but it never really does. Um, Cher is just, as I said, she just is a good person. She just happens to be in the mode of the privileged girl, which we're so used to not seeing being this the good character. Because, you know, privileged normally increase it brings it sort of like a a bitchy sort of attitude this um expectation of everything being done for you but uh which yeah she's just more about filling in the blanks and finding out what it is that's missing in her life so to speak i mean her friendship with ty obviously is it, it kind of highlights a bit that she, like it really highlights that Cher is a person with a good heart she also is fairly naive I think and that's what makes her character fun I think yeah I mean I really like people who I really like characters that are naive especially because it really emphasizes especially for you know the privileged kind of protected um type of delicate flowers sort of thing right you have this feeling that she is very spoiled, and there are moments that she's really bratty because of her, you know, insistence on certain things and whatnot. But in the end, you see that she's not really that type of person. Like, she, you know, between all the arguing with her dad, she's there. She's arguing for the right reasons to keep him in good health. And then you have things like, you know, she's, she's talking with Ty, and she's really trying to give her, you know, help Ty find direction in this new school that she's in that obviously she seems to not she thinks she seems to believe Ty isn't fitting in and not being with the right people but uh, as the movie goes along we soon realize that as her as Cher's perspective changes she starts seeing things a little bit differently for the people and not for just the appearance of things um the appearance of you know where these where whose kid this this family is from and whatnot um and just you know social status is 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 important but is it really that important kind of thing and we see with ty that it changes in nature she they start having this phase where she's kind of like the person that ty looks up to and then eventually with certain events, they start seeing kind of eye to eye on things. She, like you see Ty changing a little bit to a different person, which isn't really the person that, you know, that, that's as likable, I guess, when she was kind of naive yeah. and, you know, singing to Mentos commercials and all those things. <laughs> and, and, then, and then when it evolves to the end where they have this kind of, this kind of like, uh, I guess a little bit of a... Um, what do you call it? Like, just they, they kind of get mad at each other a little. And <laughs> yeah, because they have a little. Yeah, they have an argument. Um, it, it, it's it's it's, you know, 
and Ty doesn't take it too well, the criticism and whatnot, and the judgment, I guess. And and you, you just start seeing this this different person. Like the, this person comes out that she's she has this kind of ugly side to her. This this side that Cher usually was before. You know, the person that doesn't really think about what she says and then she says it. And sometimes they don't really mean it. They just kind of it's kind of like a defense mechanism type of thing. Definitely so the the wonderful uh, put down of you're just a virgin who can't drive, which pretty Murphy admitted afterwards she at the time was in fact a virgin who couldn't drive, which <laughs> made it quite funny. But no, Brittany, oh, Brittany Murphy as tight is just she, I miss Brittany Murphy so much, and more so after seeing this movie. When you see her sing long time, she said to the Mentos commercials, it's so unbelievably cute. And I don't know, I think if if you know how you like. You look at the films and you think, oh, well, who I would be in this sort of situation. I think Ty's like who I would be if I was in this world and to be that sort of clueless mess. Who <laughs> <laughs> probably would be seeing long. I mean, I would like to think I was like like Josh, Paul Rudd's character. You know, the the rational voice in this, but I know I'm not that cool. Um, But yeah, I just... It, it, it's funny because then when we look at obviously like like Emma, like a lot of the Austin works, I mean it's a privileged fantasy you're looking at. I mean it's not like you're looking at like the, what was happening with the downstairs people um, in these books, is it? You're always looking at like the people of privilege who have got very little worries apart from getting married and attending fancy balls and wearing frocks and things. And it's perfectly transposed when we look at Clueless, which essentially takes that world. So again, we've got privilege privileged kids who have very little concerns about so they sort of fill their time with you know very sort of minor things such as going to parties and getting their licenses and and you can tell just how detached from the real world these kids are especially when we have like the debate uh, monologue where shares they're talking about immigration in particular the bringing the um, welcoming like Haitian refugees into the US and she like compares it to overbooking at a dinner party <laughs> and it's so, you can just see her like her teacher um, who's uh, played by the wonderful Wallace Shawn just looking and going what the hell is you on about <laughs> and I think this is the thing when you look at like at people like Wallace Shawn and, he, and you can see every scene Wallace Shawn's in he's like clearly trying not to laugh at what's going on because he's like so amused by what's seeing on and it's kind of funny that we see Wallace Shawn in this and Wallace Shawn would turn up again in Gossip Girl because Gossip Girl is essentially the same as Clueless it's just transposed to New York it's uh, and perhaps you know what these kids would be if we like if they were a little older I think maybe so a little older and with a lot of sex and drugs yeah <laughs> and bad decisions <laughs> I think I think Gossip Girl might be my like further viewing recommendation because it's awesome <laughs> But let's have a look at the rest of this uh, cast. I mean, we obviously mentioned already about Alicia Silverstone and Cher. We've got Stacey Dash as Dion. Uh, Stacey Dash was another of those actors, much like Donald Frazier, who never age. Uh, she was 26 <laughs> when she was ta- playing this role, and she was playing a character half her age, but it's completely passable. I would never, like, question the age uh, that she is in this book, in this film. Uh, we also have Paul Rudd, who is just awesome as always. He plays um, Cher's stepbrother. Uh, Josh, because as her father tells us, you divorce wives, not children, and it's kind of interesting as well with her father. The fact he still 
maintains this step parent role, even though he's no longer like attached to his wives, he still supports and uh, has these connections with these these stepchildren he's been amassing through these various women that he's married. So. <laughs> Is there various? <laughs> there, I assume there so. Was only it's, Josh, no. It's just the way he said it's sort of like he divorced wives, not children, indicating there's been more than one since his. Well, since I mean, there was only moment. one that showed up, so I would assume there's only one. But you know, but uh, what do I know? Right? Yeah, I mean, at the same time, Josh is there to sort of provide the real world counterpart to share because he's obviously into watching CNN and you know yeah. and helping out um, Cher's father with his uh, ongoing litigation. And even though, like, Cher has obviously got this attachment from the world, she takes a lot of inspiration from her father, who's, like, this $500 an hour litigator, and spends a lot of time shouting, like, abuse at everybody. But he's got, at the same time, you know, you can feel there's this warmth underneath all the shouting. It's sort of like, he's shouting at you, but in the most loving way possible. <laughs> um, and the way that she's so, as I said, she sits out there and she's, like, argues... Um, she comes with this way to sort of change her report card by in the, the her version of doing litigation which is to basically set up Wallace Shawn's character with uh, Twink Chaplin's um, environmental sort of studies teacher in one of those more unlikely pairings but somehow it still works so well I mean Clueless is a little <laughs> bit like it's a little bit odd right there's there's some awkward moments things don't have to make sense exactly yeah. and and somehow these two <coughs> characters seem to i don't know they're 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 cute you know they're cute together um it, it's fun to see you know the the whole thing going on and i feel that it it highlights the point point that Cher is a little bit like she has this kind of, I don't know, she, she's just focused in her little world, right? And she doesn't realize the things that are going on around her. Like, oh, this person has a crush on her and not someone else. Or, you know, that, uh, that you know, she sees things through her own, her own perspective. And sometimes they're right, but most of the time she misses a lot of things, even though she thinks she's so, you know, above it all type of thing. Yeah. And, I mean, initially she's just there playing matchmaker. I mean, she sets up uh, Miss Guess and Miss Geis and Mr. Hall, which obviously would draw comparisons to Emma would be the characters of Mr. Weston and Miss Taylor. And yeah. she tries to go two for two, so she tries to team up Ty, who would obviously be Harriet in the book, and she tries to match up with uh, Eton, who would, in, in, in a real leap of uh, adaptation is Mr. Eaton in the book and obviously Eaton is oh, he's kind of a, a jackass but he's sort of like the best of this situation I mean he's played by Jeremy Sisto just I mean if we haven't said it already this cast is just stacked with so many people who've gone to bigger and greater things off the back of this movie you, I think if, there's no one that I could see in this cast who didn't like go on to have like a really great career after this. Even like the likes of Brecklin Mayer, um, who turns up as uh, Travis in here, went on to do great things as well. So, but um, yeah, Jeremy Sisto plays uh, Eaton, who's sort of like the uh, initial person that uh, she tries to team tie up with. And it, I don't know if it was ever believable that he was interested in her, but uh, 
even with his white boy dancing that we see at the party, which is pretty damn embarrassing. The fact that I think Heckling realized that he's not, that Sister can't really dance, and hence why we have that rolling with the homies, uh, sort of rocking back and forth nonsense on the uh, on the breakfast bar. <laughs> even in 90s standards, this is pretty poor, piss poor dancing, it has to be said. I don't know. I mean, 90s, I don't think I went to parties like that. So <laughs> I wasn't a teenager in uh, in the 90s. Uh, maybe the tail end of it. Uh, but <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, Elton's character is, is interesting. I mean, I think, I think above anything, it, it's really just, you know, he... He's there as 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 proof that you know some people are like you can't you can't prove someone more clueless than some guy that you think is your best friend but like I don't know if I just live in this world that this doesn't happen to me okay but maybe I set up a lot of barriers but I I had a lot of like I have well I had I have a lot of guy best friends yeah um, especially in like high school and elementary school I mean. Uh, I've uh, mentioned in previous podcasts, I was more of a tomboy. So I hung out with guys a lot more. Mm. Um, and it was just like, I've never had guy friends, which was like, oh, yeah, they're going to put your arms around you and then kiss you on the cheek or something, right? And then you don't think they like you. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's my Asian mentality that I'm a little bit more close-minded with these things. Yeah. Like, I would never have let that happen in the first place. But, But I don't know, like... That seems like it's like a big, you know, like he doesn't do that to anybody else, you know. So it it, it it's a little bit weird like, that she doesn't notice it. She just kind of like, oh, you know, Elton's interested in you, you know, like have a thing. And then starts matchmaking blindly over something that. <laughs> <laughs> so that seems like, you know, how much do you know this person who's supposedly your best friend, right? Yeah, I mean, he obviously, there's that whole sort of... Um when they go to the party in the valley and she's really sort of trying to push them together. And I think it sort of really becomes pretty obvious who he's actually interested in when it comes to like the carpooling sequence. And he's basically trying to push her off, uh, push Ty off on, on the, on the other friend just so he can get a uh, share alone to himself. But she's, as I said, uh, as you, we've, we've mentioned many times, she is pretty clueless. So as the title suggests, <laughs> uh, so she doesn't obviously realize this, and she's there talking tie up in like the good friend she is, but he's like just basically ignoring any of it because he's all about shares. So, and then he dumps her in the middle of some valley, which is real nice of him. So, <laughs> and so goes on a very crappy night for her. It is. It's. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, I for the amount of times I've seen this movie, I completely forgot that it's uh, got a Christmas scene, which means we can add it to the alternate Christmas list. And this is uh, one of those magical Christmas parties where the the light-up ornaments aren't apparently plugged in, so you can walk off with them. As apparently it's one of those parties where you steal, you steal anything that's not nailed down in the house, as we see with the guests, like, wandering off with various Christmas um, lawn ornaments and things. <laughs> Because that's what you do at parties. Appar you start taking people's stuff. <laughs> Apparently you do. You just go and steal stuff. <laughs> when it obviously... I mean, while she obviously spends a good time of time trying to, you know, match make people together, um, when Christian comes into her life and he's sort of like this James Dean-style fellow, he's... Uh, 
I don't know if he, if he found him charming or douchey. I'm not still not sure where I stand on on Kristen. He seems like a. <laughs> I his her dad calls him out pretty uh, pretty quick as a rat pack rejects, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, Cher's dad is like fun as heck. Like he is great. He is one of those like amazing characters. Like those, I love nineties. I really well, I really love nineties, um, or even early two thousands. We had some really like if you did a list of great father roles in coming of age movies or teen movies or something yeah i mean he would be right up there like he is amazing 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 um i mean he's played by dan hate uh who actually went on to say this was like one of his favorite films and favorite film experiences that it it had um so he rates the film extremely highly much like time magazine did who rated it as one of their top uh, 15 high school movies of all time so it's got that sort of credential there, but yeah, he is. There's something about his his character that's just it just works. Every scene he's in, even though it is a very difficult character to pull off, to be sort of gruff and lovable at the same time. And at the same, and when we get to the end, and he actually shows like that softer side and does the, like yeah. he's the one who really highlights all the things that Cher does without realizing the fact that you know she. That she's looks after her father and you know care, generally cares about people and the fact that she's so much like her mother who she never knew but at the same time idolizes and has these uh, these conversations with because she died when she was just a baby through a liposuction accident. Obviously, when Christian comes into her life and he's the first one to sort of go bullshit on his nonsense. Um, as he's as I said, he's just. He's almost like too cool for school. This kid is. He's got like his like nineteen uh, fifties aesthetic going on before that was like a thing. So you you know something is wrong with Christian. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't. I'm not saying. I'm not saying guys aren't. There aren't guys like Christian that are you know straight. Uh, but you right away you know so like through the scenes of Christian you start realizing that something's not exactly right with him I mean he notices a lot of little things that she's doing um you know from all those little things you see his little impressions of him her trying to get his attention by you know playing up being wanted being desired and all that sort of thing and then you know on the other hand he's this guy with a lot of you know a lot of fashion sense and obviously we're playing on this thing that you know straight guys aren't like that they're not about you know the clothes they wear or you know dressing some sort of special you know classy style for a teenage um these teenagers and stuff and it it plays on a lot of these i guess it's a bit i guess you can call it a bit of stereotype i guess through the little things you start realizing that Cher's the only person who doesn't realize obviously Cher and Dion because they're both in their little world and universe <laughs> yeah but it, it becomes this surprise that you know obviously when she thinks something's wrong with her for the first time the 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 boyfriend of Dion Murray <laughs> comes out and he's like what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> like the guy is, <laughs> he's not into you because of other reasons you know <laughs> he's a he's a and carrying <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is again with uh when it comes to christian i mean there's a lot of things that i only notice now and i think it's because i'm watching it 
were more sort of critical eye, but there's there's so many references to what Christian's all about throughout the film, such as the fact he's reading William Burgess's uh, Junkie, which initially I thought was like a, a hip thing, because we all go through that stage where we buy ourselves a copy of Naked Lunch and, and pretend to read it. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried reading Naked Lunch, it's a lot of bizarre junky nonsense but yeah obviously with us the homosexual undertones there we've got the scene where he's at the paint at the museum and he's looking at the painting of two men affectionately in an embrace which uh and then he when he comes over and he wants to like watch some like it hot and spartacus because they've both got tony curtis in and uh, in particular he <laughs> they highlight the scene with the Roman master Lawrence Olivier trying to seduce uh, Tony Curtis as like the he's like oh wait you've got to watch this scene <laughs> <laughs> and all oh, this goes over head but then again when you compare Christian to the other boys in her school he's like a different class because he's you know he's well dressed he's he's very sort of independent with these other guys who just they're a different sort of clueless they're sort of wrapped up in in being players and and um, just they're either be, they're either within the school they're either burnout or they're like uh, merry and they're just sort of like very sort of like they feel they've got game and that they're, uh, they're, they're these desirable icons are, even though they're basically as I said like everyone in this film they're completely clueless so yeah but I mean that's the same thing like if you look at we go back and we look at Elton Elton's that sort of clueless character he's kind of like the counterpart of Cher because you know he lives in this world where he believes in you know the marrying to your social class and living in his own little privileged world oh yeah being rich and being with the people that only reflect well on him and stuff like that right yeah because he says he's like oh do you know who my father is it's so yeah. like, oh yeah, I can't marry Ty. She's a commoner compared to me. It's... We're obviously <laughs> shares, obviously, with her her social standings a lot more on his level. So, but yeah, I think he really shows his true colours when he uh, when he mentions where his, who his father is, because that's important. <laughs> but no, I mean, there's lots of really fun little clips. Like when you look at Kristen, and he's at the bar, and he's more interested in chatting at the bartender than the girl who comes up to him, he just basically swats her away. Um, but can we talk... Yeah, but to, but, to, but you know, that's one of those scenes where to share, I think it's, it, it really highlights how when you want to see something, like if you're in this space, this headspace where you want to see something, everything is interpreted to your situation. To her, it was like, oh, he's so madly in love with me that, you know, he, he, he just, you know, he's so loyal. So he is, he doesn't care about other girls type of thing. Yeah. You know? And that's what she wants because Cher is someone who's, who's her, everyone's world revolves around her. And because of that, you know, she likes Christian because Christian you know, is not only classy and kind of like the boy that she, that, that can match up to her fashion sense and really have that sort of like common interest type of thing. But at the same time, Christian is also this guy, which, which feels like, you know, she feels like it's kind of, he, he treats her a little bit like, you know, like a lot of attention on her and stuff too. And, and she's not, he's not like the other boys, which is like, oh, you know, looking at some other teenage girl, hot girls walking by and stuff, you know, and, 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 and he's, he's more, he's a different thing, but obviously she's not seeing the other side of the picture because of, of, 
Yeah, because of of her own involvement and her own interests. Yeah, I mean, her infatuation with Christian basically covers for a lot, really. I mean, the fact he takes us to that awful club where they got the mighty, mighty boss tones playing, it's like, <laughs> oh, God, that's another 90s casualty right there. Just the fact that we have the half, most half-assed crowd-surfing sequence at the end with where these six people attempt to crowd-surf the guy and then they go up and think, now nah, we're okay, and just put him down. I wasn't sure who looked more uncomfortable, the people there trying to dance that awful music or the band for being associated with it, because it's just, oh, God. We had no taste in the 90s when it came to ska music. That, that's something <laughs> I'm so glad that's just gone. Bloody ska punks. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, th- when he comes over, though, and we got the whole scene where she's, like, trying to seduce him, and she's, like, got her, got her nice dress on, and she's, like... She's got her, her internal monologue so provides so many of the best moments of this film. It's sort of like it's important when a man comes over to bake something and she just throws down this like lump of frozen cookie dough and slams it in the oven. That's her idea of baking. <laughs> well, that, you know, it, it's still considered baking unless, as long as you don't burn the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, but right? when he comes in and it's like this cremated log in the oven and it's all like, oh, honey, you tried to bake. <laughs> Every, all the, throughout the scene, it just feels like you're not watching actors try and play this in an adult sort of situation. It's how kids this age would act, this sort of clumsy seduction. The fact that she's there trying to seduce him and um, it's sort of like, oh, my toes are cold. And so he just goes and, he goes and grabs a pillow and puts it over her feet and she tries to show a little more leg and falls off the bed. It's just this wonderful clumsiness to it, uh, which is, again, is just perfectly... The character show is just played so pitch perfect by Alicia Silverstone that it's, it's unsurprising the fact that she got this. She was the only actor who didn't have to audition for the role. She was just given it straight away. And I can't think of anyone else who sort of nailed it apart from if we like look at the TV series. Because um, the actress who took over from her in the TV series, um, Rachel Blanchard, also really nailed it as well. So. I don't know, did you ever watch the TV series of Clueless? No. Okay. It was good. <laughs> that was my that was my Saturday afternoon viewing that in the A team. So. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember it being on TV. So. No. Uh, yeah, basically all the cast returned, apart from the ones who like had got better offers. Uh, so Paul Rudd hadn't returned at that point. So. And I think they replace um, the father as well, but um, no. If you again, if you're looking for more further viewing, then especially for this thing, then uh, the Clueless TV show is really good as well. So the relationship between Josh and Cher that um, he ultimately turns out to be the man she's been looking for all all along uh, in that wonderful revolution, rever, revelation sort of third act sequence, which. Feels that it dragged it a little bit. The film was kind of dragging its heels at that bit, but it. Um, he realizes she realizes that um, that Josh is the person we have, and we obviously see her coming down the staircase in the in the dress, and it's that wonderful Julie moment where he's sort of like seeing her no longer as this you know bratty stepsister, but as as like an actual woman, which I thought was kind of touching. But I mean, did you buy their relationship at all? Well, I mean. I think you can buy it, but I I just feel like the deal with Clueless is that it was never about 
it was never fully about this whole romantic thing. Like, obviously, if you compare it to Austin, Austin is a little bit more... Uh, when we watch Emma and, and, and for, for, you know, the novel of Emma is... It brings that relationship element a little bit more. Mm. Uh, here, I think it's a little bit more in the background because, honestly, you have, you know, Josh that realizes his attraction to Cher. But he never really, you know, he obviously has a little bit of, you know, moments where he, he, he starts being a little bit more protective over her and, you know, wants to go to the party suddenly. And obviously, you know, the Cher's dad sees it all and has that, you know, smirky smile. And he says, just go, just go to the party, you know. But I think that for Cher, it's, it, it's this revelation that comes a little late i think and by the time you know by the time we end with it end with the fact that you know they're in in this really sweet scene where they realize that they like each other or have feelings for each other or or whatever you call it it's it's a nice touching part but i just don't know if it was really if i would have wanted to if i would have wanted to see more like if, if it would have started a little bit earlier but then it's very much i don't know it's very much like feels a little bit um i don't know feels a little bit like you know movies that end like um 16 candles or something okay where you end with that sort of scene where they get together but what happens after is you know you don't know right because it's really the start of their story is the end of the phase of her coming of age type of thing yeah i mean i know what you mean it's sort of like where it i suppose it's a, it's better than obviously those john hughes ones i mean nobody's riding off on a ride on morrow or standing on someone's lawn with a boom box in this i mean i, I, I mean I, I i like john hughes some really? john hughes so i okay. yeah yeah i like say anything but um, I can't say that I really care for Breakfast Club. Mm. Um, but no, that's a that's a, a film for another day. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it it ties everything up really nicely. I mean we obviously end at the at that wedding sequence, and everybody's coupled up. Everyone's with who they should be, and I think at that point, I think everything's all been tied up, and it's sort of her and and Josh getting together is sort of like the last the last thing that uh, needed to sort of complete it. I mean, she's done all the good deeds, so, so now she gets a treat, which is to, mm -hmm. that she gets to make out with Paul, with, um, Paul Rudd, <laughs> who apparently has never aged. <laughs> That's true. Paul Rudd also has never he's aged. The, he still looks very boyish. He's got the... that. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're, they're pumping out uh, clones of, of him. Because <laughs> there's certain actors who just never age. Um, have you have you noticed that there's um? You'd have to say what he played, and then I Adam Scott. Because um, he's like Adam Scott, and one of those actors who just never seems to age. Like you look at Adam Scott, who was obviously like in in uh, like Hellraiser Bloodline, which is like '96, mm. and then you look at him in Parks and Rec, and it's like. <laughs> You've not aged at all. You may like grow a beard, like in um. Oh, bugger me! I'm just not good with names today. 
But yeah, I mean, he occasionally like grows a beard or something to look a bit more evil or older, but he never ages. And Paul Rudd's exactly the same. And this was only Paul Rudd's second film. I mean, he didn't he did uh, Halloween Six, The Curse of Michael Myers, before this. But <laughs> I think with the production, it meant that Clu- with uh, the release dates, uh, Clueless actually came out before that one. So, so two interesting movies back to back that he did there. So. But yeah, I don't know. I am always, I'm always happy to see Paul Rudd. I like what anything I see Paul Rudd in is always good. I love. I don't think I've seen him in, in anything that I didn't like him in. You know, the deal with Paul Rudd is that I forget that he's in things. Okay. And then he shows up, and then I'm like, hey, it's Paul Rudd. Ah, oh, this is pretty good, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> and then that's why I don't deliberately go seeking movies yeah. with Paul Rudd in it. But he. But, you know, I think that over the years, you start realizing that he is a really good actor. And I I feel like sometimes I don't, like I said, I don't think about him as much. Uh, because he's, he's in these roles where you don't, you don't realize as much. I think I only realized Paul Rudd was in Clueless in, like, the second viewing or something like that. When I had watched something else that he was in, and then I was like, and then I started connecting the roles together that he's done he was one of those actors who i mean he managed to work his way into the friends cast i mean which was tight as anything yet we somehow managed to buy him as like this seventh member of the friends clique so he's got a he's got a real charm to him to say the least and yet an everyman quality which i think is what his appeal is he's not just another hollywood pretty boy yeah but at the same time he's not like the same frattiness as like uh, set like the human fuzzy bear Seth Rogen. So I wonder I want to put Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen together. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just every man. I mean, further viewing. If you like Clueless, I mean, what's a good thing to sort of pair it with? I mean, we've obviously mentioned a few things over the course of this episode. We mentioned a lot already. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned a lot already. But, uh, I mean, I think the closest would be, obviously, I mentioned it the earliest was uh, Mean Girls is one that's very, very comparable. Yep. Um, if you want to talk about, you know, privilege and that sort of high school type of thing, I think Bring It On kind of is a good match, mm, definitely. too. Um, and then, you know, obviously with that, you also have, you know, movies like Legally Blonde, um, that's also about you know privileged girls, very clueless. <laughs> uh, but if you think about a movie that's structured a little bit more like this one, where it's more about the coming of age and then about you know the coming of age, then then about the actual you know romance is kind of in the background. Uh, I would say Edge of Seventeen is a really good one. Yes, definitely, um, that's one of mine. Yeah, and then um, obviously I mentioned Sixteen Candles, uh, which I think I mean Sixteen Candles are. I think Pretty in Pink probably would work also, but I've only seen Pretty in Pink one time, so <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I I feel like it would match too. Like these two, these two movies would also go with it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, well, for myself, um, other than obviously Edge of Seventeen, which you recommended already, I mean, I would throw in Booksmart as well. Um, I thought. I think that would uh, pair, it, pair it nicely with this. I think for like the male equivalent, I think American Pie is like the closest you get. I think that's a very much about men trying to find themselves and feel, dealing with their own sort of pressures and and things. And it was certainly, 
I have to say, it's still a, a fantastic sort of high school movie. I think if you go back and look at all the 80s, they're very problematic in the humour now that they contain in them. And I think, again, this is another show I have with um, John Hughes and his Orientalism when he used his use of Radon Shong. In fact, every time he appears on the screen, you hear a bloody gong go off. And this is supposed to be like the height of humour. But never mind. Um, but uh, if you're looking for other TV shows, I mean, definitely check out uh, the Clueless TV show. That was really good. And um, I can't look at this right wanting to pair Gossip Girl over it. Go check out Gossip Girl as well. It's more... Well, you know, and on top of that, Gossip Girl had, I think, two episodes or something that was directed by Amy Heckerling. I believe it did. Yeah. Um... So that's got it going for it, and in many ways, I think we've we've, we've got to go. I mean, it's more towards the like the cruel intention side of things, uh, but you know, it's it's privileged kids living in a privileged world. So, and it's surprisingly watchable at the same time, which is just a show I watched. I walked into it thinking I was never going to get into this, and then like binge like five seasons of it. So, <laughs> even though the ending sucks, it's really good. You, you end up rooting for the characters you wouldn't think you would and caring little about the characters you're supposed to be rooting for. But, you know, the journey's fun. Cool. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, another episode of Moves and Tea. Thank you as always for listening. If you've... Uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button where you have been to listen to us. And you can also check out our full archive episodes at moveseandteapodcast.wordpress.com You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, you know, leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. It all helps raise the profile of the show. Uh, but, Kim, where does our direct female director of filmographies take us to next? Uh, yeah, the next place we're going is uh, we're going to be looking at the next director, which is uh, Karen Kusama and her 2000, I think it was her debut yep. uh, movie, Girl Fight. Starring the fantastic, uh, well, fantastic, uh, <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez. Yes, we're going from one end of the spectrum, really, as we're going from the privileged kids to hanging up with the underprivileged kids in a rather unique female boxing movie, as you said already, starring the fantastic Michelle. It's not Michelle Williams, is it? Michelle Rodriguez. Yes. I was thinking Michelle Williams. Uh, the fantastic Michelle Rodriguez in a very underrated film and one that I'm really excited to talk about there as well. But um, that's all coming on our next episode. But thank you as always for listening. Thank you to my co-host Kim. And uh, we'll be back next time to talk about Girl Fight. Until then, good night. 